podcast uses profanity and topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listen at your own risk. Welcome back to Helen Hills Podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. And happy Valentine's Day, attempt number two. Happy Valentine's Day. I forgot again, and we tried this like three days ago. Yeah, three days ago did not turn out well for us, but round two of recording this. Yes, and this time we'll do, we got this. We we got this. We're doing it. Look, we got our bitching out before we started mm-hmm. recording. We did. Uh huh. Yeah, forty minutes worth of bitching. Um, yes. Well, and two phone calls, one each. Yeah, not yeah. like to each other, separate phone calls. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to talk to her. No, we already talk like this. Yeah. So we talk, and then we just like we each got a phone call, and then we just left the mic on so the other person could hear what yeah. was going on. So it's fine. You know, mine was juicier. Mine was just, mine was medical related. Did you know that my, um, my doctor that handles my marijuana card does business at eight o'clock at night? <laughs> Dang, they're dedicated. <laughs> they are. That's why I love them so much because they, they work like later because he's a doctor, obviously, and his wife is a nurse and she like manages their marijuana card practice. So he works during the day. She works during the day. And then after hours, they do this. So for people like me that work Monday through Friday, eight to five, I can either do like a telemed or go to the office and get my stuff done. And whenever I heard that, I'm like, uh, sold. I will use you every year. Thank you. Done. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame you. But well, other than that, how are you? I already know the answer, but tell the people. Okay, so who loves medical stuff? Not me. I'm tired of it. I cried yesterday. Um, At 3.55 p.m.? And when James got home. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I, like, compartmentalized. Oh, I took a nap. That's what I did. That's right. I took a nap, and then when James got home, I don't even think he was home. I think we were driving home. I started crying because I'm like, I'm sorry I'm so unhealthy. (laughs) Because here's what's fun. I have a cyst, apparently, that has turned into an abscess. It's um, because of a staph infection, I guess. It's really fun. It's not. It sucks. Uh, This is like three and a half, four weeks, I think. And I'll probably have surgery for it. I'll know next week at my next doctor appointment. It's great. How are you? Uh, Much better than you. I have fun stories for you. Thank at least God. One. At least one. Which, okay. Oh, I've got two, actually. I was one I told if you. it was about Millie. There is the Millster one. Okay. Um, and there let's do let's start with this uh plus one dirt that I got my dad on tonight, which suck it up, dad. So I have basically been initiated into the game. I'm okay. not as I'm not as fully vested as Mill and my dad. Mm-hmm. But I am part of this game. Because now when I call, the first thing I hear is, Close one, dirt, dirt. Then I was freaking calling to tell you a story, okay? I don't care right now. But I... Do we just need to start every episode of the podcast with plus one, dirt, dirt, dirt now? Yeah. Hey, dad, plus one, dirt, dirt, dirt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be part of this game. <laughs> hey, you're the one that suggested it, so... I'm just helping you. No. Well, this, this happened tonight. So okay. this is very recent. My dad didn't get me for the afternoon hours. So I know, I don't know exactly the times, but I know sometime between noon and six, there's a, there's a window. And then six o'clock, there's a new window where, I, where you can do it. So I called my dad at 5.58. <laughs> oh, 
Ooh. And I got him on that one. And then I said, no, no, dad, dad, I had to tell you a story. And I just kind of talked until six o'clock. And I go, oh, hey, buy out the way. Plus one dirt for six o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> so I got him twice in the matter of minutes. Perfect. I was really proud of myself. I thought I was brilliant. I would agree. I, I thought it was pretty brilliant. But anyway, so there's that. And then the Millie story. Mm-hmm. she won't be pissed I'm telling the world this because for some reason my dad lets her listen uh, should we stop cussing so much I'm trying but I'm not good at it uh, I think maybe what we need to do is like just cuss before we start recording get it all out of our system or I could do this she muted herself and cussed <laughs> This is a cuss. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I said a cuss. Well, okay. I, I feel very irresponsible now. Like, I have kids and I cuss around what? them. But, like, I don't cuss around other people's kids. I have told my dad several times, Mill should not be listening to this. We have a literal warning at the I beginning. literally mark every episode as explicit. Hey, he's the dad. That's his problem. That's his problem. I just get... Grumbled at? <laughs> by uh, him or her? By her. I heard you say a bad word. Well, don't listen. Don't listen. I'm an adult. I'm tall enough. Fight me. <laughs> Anyways, so story. So I had to call my dad and get details on this. I probably called him like three times because we haven't recorded in so long. But essentially, my dad was picking up Mill and all the neighborhood kids from school. I think it was school. He had them all into the car. And one of the girls was talking about how her middle finger hurt. And my dad was joking around and saying, show one of the other kids and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and they somehow got started talking about, I want to know what it's like to flip someone off, like blah, blah, blah. And so later Mills told my dad, like, I want to know what it's like to flip someone off. And my dad said, well, go do it in the bathroom. Flip yourself off. <laughs> and she did. So she went into the bathroom, flipped herself off in the mirror. And then I guess she came out and was like, it felt really good. You just flipped yourself off, kid. That doesn't feel good. You shouldn't feel... No, this... Like, I see where she's coming from, but at the same time, like, not as the recipient, Mill. Maybe she was imagining, like, in her, her very yeah. imaginative brain, she had, the like, the visual face of the person she was flipping off, and she was like... Maybe fine. she didn't flip herself off. Maybe she did it to the side, and she just, Maybe. Like, bam. Maybe she positioned herself, and she, like, flipped off where my dad would actually be. And just that's, side-eyed herself in the mirror, you know? That's probably what happened. Yeah. yeah I think that's what happened. Probably. So. Mm -hmm. There's that. But I do have to, I do have to agree with her. It does feel really good. So good. I guess she was using the excuse, like, all the kids do it. And when she's referencing the kids, she's talking about the older, the adult kids. I don't, I mean, maybe once in a while I flip my dad off. But normally it's my older brother that does it. I think I flip off my husband and oh, I, people with road rage on the interstate. I know I flip off my husband. I also flip off all three dogs. Oh, yeah. I do flip off the dog. This son of a bitch. I mean, this son of a biscuit-eating bulldog. This son of a biscuit-eating pit bull. Okay. He. So, I, I think I told you. I don't remember if I told everybody. So, Buck is now on his own for 12 hours of the day. But he's not crated anymore. Yet. Um. He had potty accidents today because he wouldn't go outside when I told him. So he'll probably be crated for a while. 
But he's been doing really well. The only thing he's been doing wrong is he's been getting on the couch. I don't care about this, but that's James's one rule. He doesn't want Buck on the couch because Husky, he sheds an insane amount. And when I moved to Arkansas, I brought five animals with me. James had none. So you know what? If you don't want the animals on the dogs, the cat is fine. Don't know how that happened. But he doesn't want the dog on the couch. Okay. I, I can do that. Cool. This dog. I get home and we have a window. That window, it faces the carport. So I get out of the car. I go get the mail. And when I'm walking back in, I look. Because he has obviously been on the couch, one, because the cameras told me so, but also the curtains are open. So I know he's had his big old head in them. I look in the open curtains and see him on the couch in my spot, sitting there. And we lock eyes. So when I open the door and come inside, he doesn't meet me at the door, which is strange. And I'm like, what is going on? I look in the living room and he's in his crate. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You're already busted. You can't get off the couch and get in your crate like it. What we locked eyes. You can't even pretend I saw you. I saw you. Not even I saw you. I saw you see me seeing you on the couch. He's like that was just a trick of the light. Don't worry. About <laughs> it's a dark green couch and a cream colored dog. There's no way it's, I imagine that. It's the reflection. He was actually in his crate. The light reflected off the window and the whole thing. Science. No, because I saw the eyes. I saw the eyes like, shit. (laughs) Shoot. Dang it. Dagnabbit. (laughs) Okay, dagnabbit is a good one. Like when you're real mad and you're at work or something, you're just like, dagnabbit. That's a, that one feels good too. Kids, you should say that one more. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have to do that because when I'm at work, it's just me and the dogs. You're at home. Yeah. Oh, I let a lot of um, heckins. Son of a Biscuits. Heckin' is my big one at work. Son of a heck. What the heck. What the heckin' heck. A lot of heckins at work. Look, I don't talk to people regularly at work, so. Oh, I have to. Oh, yeah. No, I don't have to do that. That's not true. I do have a lot of customer calls, but I can be professional for those. I just meant, like, my coworkers. My coworkers don't suck, so it's not horrible. Yeah, most of mine don't suck. I have two of them where I have called and I have just let loose because I've needed to vent. And mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of words in there that are, <laughs> thankfully, they're like, these are people I hang out with outside of work, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so thankfully, they, they're they like, well, it's a good thing this isn't a monitored line. <laughs> I have one of those that, um, one of those work friend types that works mainly at a different branch, but she'll work at ours like. I don't know, four, eight hours during the week, something like that. So we just uh, cuss a lot on WebEx, unless my bosses are listening. And then we don't cuss. We keep it very professional on the WebEx and um, talk about work stuff that's important. Yeah, no, that's fine. I yeah. do that. That's, we do that on the WebEx with my friends, too. Mm-hmm. Anyway. It's very important WebEx it things. It is. Like, look, I configure WebExes for people. So (laughs) sometimes I have to cuss out the WebEx. I don't think I've ever had to cuss out the WebEx. Now that, like, the back office people via WebEx, yes. Yeah, no, I I do that on occasion. (laughs) Sometimes I'm cussing out the WebEx while I'm on the phone on the WebEx complaining about the WebEx. 
WebEx is either really good or really not. That's what I'm that's what I'm going with here. There are days where I'm like, you heifer. Oh, heifer's another good one. So anyways, so those are my updates. Uh, oh, there was one more thing my dad had said. Uh-oh. Um, what was it? Was it about my dictionary? He did request a dictionary change to a roadmap of where your squirrel's thought process was, whatever it was. I sent it to him. It's the circle because it's <sighs> just in a wheel. He hasn't paid me yet, so. Oh, well, yeah. then you're not getting it. You already sent it to him, though. I can send him a better one, but not if he's not even going to pay for the okay. first one. Okay, yeah. I not a good a, track record. I thought it was a fair price, $59.99. I made that myself. I it thought was it was fair, artwork. too. It was. It was no, he he called, oh, you know what it was? We were talking in the last episode about the Mopanguari. I think that's what it was. It was a cryptid mm-hmm. with the extra set of teeth on its stomach. Yeah. And you it. you said something about, what is that for? What's the point? And my dad's like, really, Amanda, what else would teeth in a mouth be for? Maybe it's a tumor. I don't know. I wasn't aware of the Mopanguari, okay? But tumors have mouths and hair, teeth and hair, and sometimes other things. I've so. never heard. That sounds like a child. A tumor? Oh, yeah. The way you explained it, yeah. Oh, tumors get wild. Have you never Googled pictures of tumors with teeth? Do no, you want I'm me to? Go- no, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. I'm, good. I'm, I'm just good. telling you, if you're in for a wild ride, if you can't sleep at three in the morning, look at that. You won't be able to sleep till five in the morning. No, I'm good. I already don't sleep. So we're good. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that's where we're at. Uh, let's get back to the holiday, Valentine's Day. Hope everyone's with their, oh, hey, dad, when you hear this, don't forget to ask mom or Mill to be your Valentine. Because if you call me, I can't. Cody's already asked me. Hey, Mill, when you hear this, ask your mom to be your Valentine so your dad can't. Hey, Dad, I didn't say it, but I did think <laughs> it. So, <laughs> oh, so sorry. I'm just down for chaos, okay? I also have been telling my dad for like weeks now, you better ask him because I can't. I'm going to break your heart again if I have to tell you no. If it makes him feel any better, I got two on the way. So, you know, maybe he, maybe he can snag one next year. I don't know. Oh, wait. No, you can't even do that because they're probably going to be each other's Valentines. Actually, they're going to be my Valentine. Oh, okay. Sorry, Cody. Oh, Cody can be your dad's Valentine. There, <laughs> there you go. go. Blow night. <laughs> there you go, dad. Next year, you and Cody can be Valentines. <laughs> It'll be like a Galentine, but like with bros. I don't know what that is. Um, A Galentine? Sure. Sure. But happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. So we, uh, we got a lot of, we got a fun story ahead of us. So are you ready to talk about socials? I am. Because I think you're going to really love my story once you realize what it is. Okay. And dad, you're welcome. Anyways, so let's talk about socials. We have them. So we have Facebook, Helen Hills Podcast, Instagram, Helen Hills Podcast, X, X, Helen Hills Pod, all of those we post pictures on. Amanda, are you caught up or are you behind? I'm behind. I'll get caught up either tonight or tomorrow because I'm not going to work. So I'll be in bed all day. Well, I told my dad the other day I would post the pictures you hadn't, and I haven't done that. So perfect. Forget him. Done. Uh, in my defense, in my defense, I have two babies in me, and my heartburn was winning. Oh, I I feel your pain. I'm sorry. 
So anyways, point being, that's his fault. Um, but we do have those. We have our Patreon. We're working on getting specials up. You also get early access to episodes. And then we have our email. If you want to email us suggestions, Podcast at gmail.com. And then we have our link tree. So if you can't find anything, want to see what platforms we're on, which is, should be everything, you can find us on link tree. If you can't find the link tree link, it's just Google Helen Hills podcast link tree. We should come right on up. Um, and then we also have, I think that's it. That sounds like it's it. Anyways, well, are you ready for a story that I know you're going to love? I am so ready because I'm already loving the pictures. Okay. So this is a podfather request. That he requested ages ago. Sorry, Dad. But I'm doing it. I'm doing it. That's what counts. And I, I've been teasing him for a couple weeks that it's coming. Mm-hmm. Actually, for like a month that it's coming. And with that being said, this is going to be a two-part episode. Da, da, da. And I'm going to be honest. I almost didn't do it today because I thought I deleted all my notes on it. <gasps> oh, my God. I just got nauseous. That's terrible. I did not delete the notes. I just renamed them on accident and then I found them. However, I renamed them. Okay, correction. I renamed them for some reason to the paranormal I'm doing. And then when I went into that paranormal, I was like, why? Oh, I'm an idiot. It's fine. It's fine. I figured it out. They call that pregnancy brain. It's fine. We figured (laughs) it out. Things were not deleted. I had a slight panic attack. So don't worry. I found them. Okay. But this is the story about the man who, according to reports, the FBI said is to be the man who organized organized crime in the United States. He is the model for the character Don Corleone in the book and movie The Godfather. Do you know who this is? Well, I mean, I've seen the pictures, but is it uh, Lucky Luciano? Luciano, yeah. Luciano, damn. I was close, but I'm excited. This is about Lucky Luciano. Lucky Luciano was born Salvatore Luchania. Luchania. He was born on November 24th, either 1896 or 1897. About 50-50 on that one. No one's really sure apparently what year. <laughs> and he was born in Lacara, Friedi, Sicily. And he, and obviously he's an Italian man. His parents, Antonio uh, Luchania and Rosalia Caparoli, They had a total of five children. And Salvatore, or Lucky, he was the middle of the five. So he had older brothers, sisters, and that was uh, Bartolomeo, Bartolomeo, uh, Giuseppe, Philip, wow, my goodness, Philippa, and Conchetta. So those are his siblings. I love Italian names. I struggle because I'm never sure if I'm saying them right. So if I'm not, I'm so sorry. I'm not Italian. Oh, I don't know how to say them, but I love listening to Italian people say them. They're so oh, pretty. for sure. But according to sources, Antonio uh, Salvatore, his father, was he was a very ambitious man. He worked in a sulfur mine while in Sicily. He also, he would find any work in the nearby town of Corleone in order to support his family. He was also a very prideful man, and he also never asked for money, so... Antonio, even if his family was struggling, he was like, no, absolutely freaking not. This will not be happening. But that left his wife, Rosalia, instead to ask for money. So when they did need something, she would secretly ask a cousin. So very, they weren't well off. In 
April of 1906, the family would emigrate from Sicily to the U.S. and they would settle in New York in Manhattan. In Manhattan. 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 <laughs> Specifically on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And this was a very popular location for Italian immigrants. It was also, they were living in a very overcrowded tenement in Lower Manhattan. So they were, it, I mean, they weren't making a lot of money, right? They were the typical immigrants at the, this point. Now, at the time of the move, Salvatore, his born name, he was only about 10 years old. And he was basically immediately up to no good. At the age of 10, reports state he was arrested for shoplifting. So, like, he got there and was like, this is mine. Bye. And, you know, he was immediately up to no good. By the age of 14, he would actually drop out of, out of school. In all reality, he did struggle with school in general. After all, when they came to the U.S. after, I mean, they're immigrants. He didn't speak any English. He spoke Italian. And so he really struggled with the language, with school, and that disconnect there. And he would just end up dropping out. After dropping out, he would actually begin working delivering hats. And this garnered him a $7 weekly pay. I mean, that doesn't feel horrible for the time, but not enough. Well, I mean, we are thinking about our day and age, which, no, for 14-ish years old, that's pretty good. Yeah. And for the, what year was this again? This would be in the early 1900s, like 1910s, maybe. Yeah, that doesn't doesn't sound horrible, but still, like, I mean, if he's having to help support his family. Right. Well, most sources stated that he took this job. He was sick of being poor and he wanted more. So he started working at this hat, hat company. But Salvatore, he would end up being lucky with some street luck. And he would win a dice game. He won $244 from that game. Oh. So he's like, screw this job, and he quits. And so he decides, I'm just going to earn money on the street. Which obviously is doing better for him than working. Okay. So as he grows up, he actually begins to create his own gang, or what is often referred to as a racket. And... I mean, he was in his early teens when he starts this. Now, in Salvatore's gang, he would offer protection to young people of Jewish descent from Italian or Irish gangs. Now, at this time, there was a lot of hostility between Irish and Jewish gangs or people. Um, the Italian really, Italian gangs and people really looked down on Jewish. Not all of them, but, you know, they looked down on the, on the Jewish people there. And so he was like, you know what? If I can make money, I can make money. So he started offering his services for 10 cents per week. And he was offering to protect these children. Like, I'll walk you home from school. You're safe. No worries. And, you know, that's that's his first game. And now keep in mind, if the kid he was protecting didn't cough up the money for a week, he would take matters into his own hands. <laughs> and the poor kids. That's not funny. Get, sorry. Yeah. The kids would get a beat down from their bodyguard. <laughs> I've just always wondered after this. Do they still, is he still their bodyguard? I after think if they pay up, after he, after they pay up, I assume, he's like, okay, you gave me 10 cents for last week. We can do this again this week, but you still owe me another 10 cents on top of it. He, look, he's a businessman. He's making money. I still feel like, like, 
I don't know, man. Like, take my dime and leave me alone, please. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, you're not being a great bodyguard. We're done with this. You're really messing with my emotions here. Yeah. Well, during this time, Salvatore would meet Meyer Lansky when they were in their early teens. Salvatore would try to extort Meyer Lansky for money during a walk home. He's like, look, I protected you. Ten cents. Right? But Meyer Lansky, he was like, no. He's not having it. He was defiant to Salvatore's threats. And Salvatore, or Lucky Luciano, he respected that. And they actually start a very long-lasting like friendship of a lifetime here. Okay. And through... Meyer Lansky, he would meet Benjamin Siegel, and they would also begin a friendship that would last a lifetime. And Siegel would eventually become known as Benjamin Bugsy Siegel. Wanted to throw that out there because that's Bugsy. So, also at the age of 14, he would reportedly bring home his first gun. And he had at this time become a pretty skilled pickpocket. So, you know, he's doing a thing, I guess. In 1911, his parents would send him to the Brooklyn Truancy School. I didn't get clarity as to why that was or how long, but it didn't look like it lasted long. Now, Salvatore, and I do continue to reference him as Salvatore for a little bit, sorry. But he would become a member of the old Five Points gang in his team. This gang was primarily based in the Five Points of Lower Manhattan. They were very prominent in the early 1900s. And this is where Salvatore would begin to deal heroin. Oh, that's a leap. Yeah, so he's, I mean, he's kind of doing steps up, right? Is that a step, though? He went from pickpocketing to dealing heroin? Was there something in between that? He's beating kids up. And that feels like that's in between. I don't, I still feel like we're missing a couple steps, maybe a flight. Um, he did get here. I'm sure there was more he did to get him there, but that's where mm-hmm. he's at. Okay. <clears throat> he would also start learning about the pimping trade. Oh, okay. Another couple steps here. Uh-huh. Oh, so he would start learning about the pimping trade in the years around World War One, so right around 1914-ish. And so, you know, he's he's just kind of stepping up and doing his thing. And In his teenage years, it's not clear when, but we know in his teen years, he would change his name to Charles. This is specifically because the nickname Sal or Sally, they were not masculine enough for him. Some sorts of state that this was just an attempt for him to Americanize his name. So he would become Charles and he would change his surname to Luciano. Now, some reports state that this was because he believed it was easier for Americans to pronounce. Others just say it may have come about from persistent misspellings of his name in the newspapers. And he was like, all right, Charles Luciano. And and then at some point he would gain the nickname Lucky. So he is most frequently referred to as Lucky Luciano. So I am now going to continue to refer to him as Lucky Luciano. Okay. So he come into his own. We finally have a name that stuck. Mm -hmm, Okay. In 1916. He would spend six months in jail for selling heroin. That's it? Wow, this was a different time. Yeah, this is a different time. Come on. Holy. Um, So he gets out, and as time goes on, he starts to really make a name for himself. In the 1920s, something pretty important happens in the U.S. Do you remember your history and what that was? Um, Could it be the Great Depression? 
No, that was the 1930. Um, all I've got is the Great Depression and the Flappers. Uh, Prohibition. Oh, shit. Dang. Yeah. That I, one I do remember effect. that. That one went into effect January 19th. I'm Sorry. not a drinker anymore. So. Mm. Well, if you were in the 1920s, it's gone. But no worries, because Lucky Luciano, he has you covered. In the 1920s, so first of all, a couple things happened. In the 1920s, he's already made a lot of connections. He's made connections with gang boss uh, Giuseppe Joe the Boss Masseria. Masseria actually recruited Luciano to be one of his gunmen in the 20s. And he also made connections with Vito Genovese and Frank Costello. And at the same time, he has also recruited, at the same time he's recruited by Joe Masseria, he and his friends Genovese and Costello would actually start working for a gambler named Arnold the Brain Rothstein. And Rothstein, he's a very smart man. Because he found, he was like, we can make money with prohibition. He's like, there's a lot of earning potential here. Oh, that's why he's the brain. So Rothstein, he would take Luciano on under his wing and educate him on running a bootleg alcohol business. So he's teaching Lucky Luciano these. And this would lead Luciano, Genovese, and Costello to start their own bootlegging operations, which was financed by Rothstein. And these operations did well. They did really well. Not only did Rothstein show him, like, the ways of bootlegging, but he really became, like, this really big mentor for Luciano. And Rothstein, which, by the way, I think we can totally do a whole story on Rothstein, because, you know. It sounds like it. Um, Let's just put it this way. There was, I think it was the 1919 World Series. Rothstein was believed to have basically rigged. Oh, okay. Uh, So he's a big brain. Yeah, he's a big brain. But my point is, is that, you know, he's taking him on but Rothstein also shows Luciano how he can move up in the world and make his way into high class society as well and Luciano takes this and he's doing it he's becoming this high class man he's acting the part walking the walk you know mm-hmm. that was until 1923 because in 1923 Luciano didn't learn from his mistakes and he is caught selling heroin come on very unlucky I know right this was a sting with undercover agents, so. Oh. However, his luck turns around pretty quickly because he doesn't serve any jail time for this. Pardon? No, they, he didn't serve any jail time for it. Wow, he is lucky. Yeah. But being outed as a drug dealer or a drug peddler did damage his reputation just a little bit. Drug peddler. Is that what the kids are calling him these days? No, well, they call them drug dealers these days. In the 20s, they called them peddlers. Drug peddler. I think we should bring that back. Mm-hmm. Pot peddlers. I like it. Mm-hmm. So his reputation is a little damaged with the high class associates he had acquired and his high class customers because they're like, you got busted, dum dum. What a loser. What a loser. And so, you know, this is with the direction of Rothstein. He's able to salvage his reputation. He bought 200 expensive seats at the Jack Dempsey Lewis Pierpo boxing match. Obviously. He would distribute these to the top gangsters and politicians. His then mentor, Rothstein, would then take Luciano on a shopping spree to Wanamaker's department store, which was like a high-end department store. They would buy him top-notch clothes for the fight. 
And this helped him to salvage his reputation in the high class society. Oh, okay. So friends in high places, it sounds like. Yes. Oh, he had friends in high places. And, you know, by by this time, he's doing really well for himself. By 1925, he was grossing over $12 million per year. Oh, okay. With a personal income of about $4 million. Yeah, that had to be split different ways. Oh. Casual. So, yeah. In 1925, I should have done a conversion. Hold on. Currency converter. 1925. $4 million in 1925 is equivalent in purchasing power to about... 70, hold on, let me count, $70,113,371.43. Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't struggling. No, it does not sound like, it sounds like every suit from here on out he bought himself. Mm-hmm. From wine, winemakers, whatever you said. Wanamakers? Yep. Wanamakers? That's what I'm calling it, is Wanamakers. That's, that's what we should have named this podcast. Wanamakers. Wanamakers. Wanamakers, hell on heels. Wanamakers on heels. There we go. Oh my gosh. Wanamakers heels. Done. (laughs) So he's making about $4 million per year in the 1920s. He's bootlegging. He's running illegal gambling operations that went from New York to Philadelphia. Uh, How did they even get there back then? A freaking Model T? That was an exaggeration. Okay. There's trains. Okay. I said it was a high I, I know. I'm just telling you there's trains. And his bootlegging business was one of the largest bootlegging operations in New York, if not the largest. His operation would become known as one of the big six. Big fix? So, six. Like the oh, big six. six. I got you. Yes. So already he seems like he's a pretty powerful man, right? How old is he right now? Um, he would be twenties to thirties, because he was born in seven eighteen ninety six or seven, and we're talking twenty five. So he's not even quite thirty. I don't know if I should feel good or bad that he is so much more successful to me than I am now, but in highly illegal ways. Oh yeah, so- these are. He is doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> look, I'm going to say I love this man. I would not ever want to get on his bad side. I do not aspire to be this man, but he is a very driven man. He got that from his father, I think. So, yeah. But he's only going to go up from here. Ooh, only okay. going up. So, so I already mentioned that in the 1920s, Joe Masseria would be like, hey, come be one of my gunmen. But also in the 1920s, he becomes a top aide for Joe Masseria's organization. Now, Joe Masseria was, he was less educated than Rothstein. So this did give Luciano the advantage to kind of move up in Masseria's organization because he he knew a lot. He was able to use the knowledge he had gained from Rothstein to help Joe as an advisor. So he was still limited in his power at this time, but he's still, he's gaining, right? Yeah. He's still a gunman and, you know, for Masseria, and Masseria had an issue. One of Masseria's lieutenants had switched sides and had begun working for Masseria, Masseria's rival, Salvatore the Duke. 
Maranzano. He's got to die. That's yeah. the rules. Maranzano ran the Castel Marise clan. Uh, Castella, Castella Marise plan. Plan. Yes. So when Gaetano Reina switched sides from Maseria to Maranzano, Maseria is like, hey, Luciano, I'm going to need you to murder Reina or at least arrange something. Mm-hmm. And he did. And he had Reina murdered on February 26, 1930. Now, this act would escalate into a whole war known as the Castel, Castella Marise War. And this is a gang war, okay? This is two Italian clans fighting. Okay. Now, in this war, Masseria and Maranzano, they had some old-fashioned beliefs. They were referred to as mustache peats or traditional mafiosi. Which I love because neither of these men have mustaches. Uh, mustache Pete is a reference to another gangster that was old-fashioned, kind of set some of these values in place, and so they call them, like, the Mustache Pete. Did he have a mustache? I assume so. Okay. He's another one we could probably do a whole story on. Okay. Anyways, now this references their more traditional mafia boss. Uh, mafia bosses, right? So it's like, okay, they're very traditional. Most of these men had started their career in Italy and they basically believed in upholding the old world mafia principles, the principles of honor, honor, tradition, respect, dignity. And these mafia bosses also refused to work with anyone that was not an Italian. They were often even skeptical of working with non-Sicilians. So like even areas within Italy, they're like, you're trash, you know? Yeah. And... This was a really big contrast in how Luciano worked. He had gotten his mafias, like, started in New York and not in Italy, right? He he got his mafia start in New York. He was more than willing to work with Italians, but he was also willing to work with Jewish gangsters and Irish gangsters. He's like, that's fine. And men like Luciano were often referred to as young Turks. Basically, these guys, they were okay working with whoever. And for Luciano, he's like, I'll work with whoever as long as there's profit to it. And Luciano, he would have also been lectured by a lot of these traditional mafiosi about his methods and dealings with his close friend, Frank Costello. Frank Costello was called the Dirty Calabria. Calabria is part of Italy. It's just not Sicily. So, like, this is just to show, like, they look down. Like, Sicily is the place to be born, I guess. Picture it, Sicily. Yeah. So Luciano sees these old mafia ways and he's like, you know what, I'm gonna build ties with these other young, young gangster mafia members. Mostly the ones who were born in Italy, but he but they would start their mafia or their criminal careers in the US. So they had a similar start to him. And these other individuals that were more aligned with Luciano's thoughts, they were also irritated by their boss's old mafia ways. And look. Luciano had some big goals, okay? He had a great mentor. I believe by this time, uh, Rothstein had already passed away. But he he had a great mentor, and he had a pretty good idea of what he was doing. He wanted more than just a gang. He wanted an entire criminal empire. So he kind of gathers up this group of mobsters, which include Frank Costello, Vito Genovese, Albert Anastasia, Joe Adonis, Joe... uh, Bon Bonano? Yep. Bonano. Sure. Uh 
Bonanno. It's probably Bonanno. Bonanno. Bonanno was Bonanno. So, <laughs> no. Sorry, I don't know how to say this. It's Joe B. We're gonna call him Joe B. Joe B. Okay. Because it's Joe Boxer. Well, it's B O N A N N O. So I want to say banana, but I know it's not banana. <laughs> then I want to say banana, and that's not banana. So it's Bonanno. I don't know. Bonano. I'm not Italian. Okay. Okay. Um, I can't help. So I'm just listening. It also included Carlo Gambino, Joe Profasi, Tommy Gagliano, and Tommy Luches. All of these names I just threw out, they're future mob boss leaders themselves. Oh, okay. So, like, he's making pretty good connections here. And since all of these men shared the belief that their existing bosses greed and conservatism, um, they believed that that was keeping them poor. So, while on the flip side, they saw, like, this the Irish and Jewish gangs getting rich. So, Luciano's vision for them? He wanted to form a national crime syndicate. They would work with the Italians, the Jewish, and the Irish gangs. And they could pool their resources and create a really lucrative business. So Luciano did just that. And he would begin forming the national, uh, national crime syndicate. Which, this was with the help of Johnny Torrio, Frank Costello, and Meyer Lansky. Now, the National Crime Syndicate was officially formed on in May 1929. Didn't come without challenges for Luciano. In October of 1929, he was actually forced into a limo at gunpoint. The, the men, I thought it was four men, but I have three men that would beat and stab Luciano numerous times with an ice pick. Oh, oh. One report claims they had also slit his throat from ear to ear. After that, they would string him up by his hands and hang him from a beam in a warehouse located in Staten Island. Though some reports claim he was left on a beach in Staten Island rather than a warehouse. Uh, but most frequently, I saw the claim that it was a warehouse. I feel like that small potatoes, um, like where he was left, considering what he went through. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is what's known as a one-way ride. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, but he uh, he survived this attack. And it was That's, very rare for on, anyone wait, to stop, survive stop this one-way ride. Stop. Pause. Can you go over everything he just went through one more time? So three men would force mm -hmm. him into a limo at gunpoint. Okay. They would beat and stab him numerous times with an ice pick, potentially slit his throat from ear to ear, potentially hang him by his hands from a beam or just toss him on a beach and leave him for dead. Gotcha. Okay. For I don't know um, if these guys should be allowed to work anymore. Uh, because it... How did you do all that? And this man... Was he related to... Um, What's his name? Michael Malloy? I don't know. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Because he very well could have. Because that man didn't want to die either. Michael Malloy is like a whole different story. I love him so much. Guys, we've already covered Michael Malloy too. Yes. I don't know what episode, but we did. Definitely go listen to it. Because that was a good one. It was. Um, But yes, he survives all of this. And it's very rare for gangsters to survive this one-way ride. 
Now, many sources claim that this incident is where he got his nickname Lucky from. There are other sources where they say it's unclear where he got his nickname from, but I like thinking it's from the story. Some sources also claim that he got his nickname Lucky from gambling. He was really lucky at gambling, so it's possible that, you know, the combination. But I still mm-hmm. like the idea that it was they're like, bro, you're lucky. We're going to start calling you lucky. Yeah, I like that. So I like that thought. I mean, regardless of in what way, the man was pretty damn lucky. Uh-huh. And after this attack, he was left with a noticeable scar and a droopy eye. But that didn't slow him down. <laughs> the identity of his attackers, they were never found. So when police found him, he claimed he did not know the identity of the men that had done this. But later on in 1953, he would claim in an interview that it was actually the police that had attacked and beaten him. He claims they were trying to ascertain information on Jack Legg's diamond. Other theories, however, typically include that Maranzano had ordered the attack on him because, first of all, he's growing in power. He has this national crime syndicate, which, by the way, I don't go into detail, guys, because I'll do that as a whole story. But he's he's a very powerful man at this time and also he's Maranzano's enemy's right-hand man so you know not great now also in 1929 he would meet Gay Orlova this would be his lover for quite some time they would spend a lot of time together uh before he before his downfall and they were never married so she is gorgeous by the way so when you look at pictures she is she's got that old hollywood look to her she does she she looks like an actress back Uh from the 20s 30s she's Mm -hmm. so pretty i know literally nothing about her and i love her Mm -hmm. she's so pretty she is gorgeous whenever i post the pictures for this episode definitely go look yes so he would start spending his time with Gay Orlova. And by 1931, Lucky Luciano, he was just really fed up with his boss, Masario. They're still in this war with Maranzano's gang. And it's just dragged on long enough. And Masseria, Luciano's boss, not faring well in this war so far. Uh, so Lucky Luciano would make a secret deal with Maranzano. She's right. Oh. Luciano would agree to engineer Masseria's death. In return, he would get Masseria's rackets, essentially all of Masseria's operations. And lucky Luciano would also become Maranzano's second in command. Of course, the secret deal wasn't so secret because it would get back to Masseria. And Masseria would go to Joe Adonis and he would have well, he would go to Joe Adonis to have Lucky, Lucky Luciano killed. He went to the wrong person because Joe Adonis would instel, instead tell Lucky Luciano about the plan for his murder. And on April 15th, 1931, Luciano and Masario would be playing cards and having dinner at Nueva Villa Hamaral on Coney Island. I don't know if I said that right, but it's a fancy seafood restaurant. It sounds great. And you said Coney Island, so I'm here I'm here for yeah. it. So Lucky, he would excuse himself to go to the restroom about mid-meal. And about the same time, somehow, Masseria's bodyguards would also disappear. Oh. And that's when Masseria would be in a little bit of trouble. 
because he's got to know at this point, right? I, you gotta know, right? You it's not like he's on his phone, like you know, minding <laughs> his own business. So he's gotta know. But in walk four gunmen. <clears throat> Reportedly, these gunmen were Albert Anastasia, Vito Genovese, Joe Adonis, Benjamin Bugsy Siegel, and then the getaway driver was Zero, the Artichoke King, Paranova. Absolutely, he was the Artichoke King. Okay, hold on. This can't be the vegetable, right? Is that a vegetable or a root? I don't care. I don't know. This this cannot be the produce artichoke. I, I don't maybe he really liked artichoke. I don't know. I freaking love mafia names. Like where do you guys Bugsy, Legs? Is Adonis a, a name or, or like an actual surname or is that a nickname? Because they Adonis could go either way. Name. Oh, okay. Well see, he doesn't even need a nickname. He's already got an awesome yeah. name. So the four would go in, so the artichoke king is the getaway driver, but the four would go in and they would kill Masseria. They would just bang, bang, shoot, shoot. Oh, and is that, is, I love your onomatopoeias there. That's exactly how it happened. Bang, bang, shoot, shoot. And then they went zoom, zoom. Yes. <laughs> bang, bang. Zoom. What was it? Bang, bang, shoot, shoot. Cow, pow, zoom, zoom. Yes. <laughs> so... With Masseria out of the way and with Maranzano's blessing, Lucky Luciano, he takes over Masseria's operations. He also becomes Maranzano's lieutenant. And this would officially end the Chastella Marise Wars. Now, this was one hell of a power play that really worked out for Lucky Luciano. Now that Masseria was out of the way, Maranzano would reorganize the Italian American gangs of New York into five families. Maranzano would, of course, be the head of one family, Lucky Luciano, the head of his own, Profasi, uh, Gagliano, and Vincent Mangano would also be the head of their own family. So Maranzano, though, you know, keep in mind, he's top dog right now. He would declare himself Capo di Tutti Capi. <laughs> Capo di Tutti Capi? Capo di Tutti Capi. I don't even know what it is, and I want to be it. I'm going to tell you right now, I called my dad and said, hey, dad, are you Capo di Tutti Capi? And he didn't know what it was. I said, you got to tell me yes or no right now. He told me no. I'm going to say yes. Okay, Amanda, you are a boss of all bosses. Take that pod, father. <laughs> you got to go followed- with your gut, and your gut was wrong, sir. Followed by my dad going, oh, I was just quizzing you. Bullshit, dad. Bull. at it. Baloney baloney crap okay yeah shut the front door so he you know he declares himself as capo d2d cappy he would do this at a meeting that he called in wappinger falls new york during this meeting that he declared himself capo d2d cappy he would also whittle down the rival family's racket so he basically made sure that this favored maranzano did this he made sure that it favored his own family And Luciano, he accepts these changes, at least outwardly. And Luciano already has an image of Maranzano that portrayed him much like Masseria, just a bit more forward-thinking than Masseria. That didn't really matter to Luciano, because overall he believed Maranzano was actually more greedy than Masseria, which didn't work for Luciano. So really, lucky Luciano, he's just waiting for an opportunity. By September 1931, Moranzano had caught on that Luciano was 
likely still a threat to him. So Moranzano would do what any mob leader would do. He hires Vincent Mad Dog Cole to kill Lucky Luciano. Again, again we're going to try this again. Yeah, and I don't know why people try, keep trying to kill my man Luciano here. Because he just has insiders everywhere. Everywhere. Like, y'all aren't, this ain't going to happen. Yeah. Stop trying to make Fetch happen. Right? And Tommy Luce, uh, Luches heard about this. And so when he hears about the, this hit against Lucky Luciano, he goes and tells Lucky, he's like, hey, Luciano, mm-hmm. my man, you're marked for dead. And so Moranzano, he, he's trying to act, you know, cool. He orders Luciano, Genovese, and Castella all to come to his office in Manhattan on September 10th. Now, Luciano, he's like, this is a setup. This is where we die if we go. So instead, Luciano, he sends four Jewish gangsters to Moranzano's office. These four individuals would not have been known by Moranzano's people. Because he didn't, he didn't believe in uh-huh. the... Okay. Yeah. These four individuals posed as government agents. Oh. Two of them would disarm Moranzano's bodyguards after being allowed in. The other two would direct, who were directed by uh, Luchez, Luch. They he showed him like this is Maranzano, and they would stab Maranzano multiple times, then shoot him. Some more bing bang, shoot, shoot, pow, pow. Ultimately, this was the successful assassination of Maranzano. And so does Luciano now take over? We'll talk about what happens with Luciano in just a second. Okay. So this would become the first of what's now known as the Night of the Sicilian Vespers. Um, which was basically just like a big offing of a bunch of the high Sicilian gang leaders. Now, keep in mind this time frame. This is just six months after the death of Masseria. So Luciano, he's not wasting time. He messing around. He's got stuff to do. He's like, bud, you put me on the hit list. So I got to get you first. I'm busy. Yes. Now, just days after Maranzano's death on September 13th, the bodies of Maranzano's allies, Samuel Monaco and Louis Russo, those would be retrieved from New York, Newark Bay as well. And both men's bodies showed some evidence of torture. Are and we then, surprised? I mean, no. it's, the, it's the mafia. No. And then Joseph Siaguisa? I don't know how to say his last name. It's Italian. I'm sorry. He's the leader of the Pittsburgh crime family. He was shot to death in his own home. On October 15th, Joe Artizone, who was head of the Los Angeles family, would also go missing. Allegedly, his disappearance would be part of this alleged plan to eliminate the old school Sicilian bosses. Mm -hmm. So at this point, it seems like there's a huge mass purge of these old world bosses going on. A lot of people believe it was directed by Lucky Luciano. Okay, so we have a new war, basically, and it's new versus old. Many claim that it was debunked that Lucky Luciano did not organize this mass purge of leaders. He might have had his hand in some of the ones in New York, but Mm. not all the way to Los Angeles. So there's just a lot going on here. But now with Maranzano gone, do you have guesses who might have just taken over? Mm, Luciano? Lucky Luciano. Oh. If you guys didn't answer Lucky Luciano, you haven't been listening. If you didn't answer Lucky Luciano, you are not the boss of bosses. You are not Capo de Tutti Capi. 
what she said. I was going to say capoeira. <laughs> yeah, no, not that no, though. Not the a capoeira. Kappa de tu did capa de cappuccino. Capi de tucci capi. You're not a cappuccino, guys. <laughs> you are the coffee of coffees. Yes. Now, he is living his dream as the dominant crime boss in the U.S., right? He wanted this power. He's He's got a lot going on for it. So, it may seem like he's going to come in and he's like, look, these are old world ways. We're going to come do new things. So, he's going to change everything that Maranzano just established. But in reality, he actually changed a lot, but he also kept a lot of Maranzano's changes and the old world things. He kept Omerta, which is an oath of silence. Essentially, he wouldn't say anything about other families. If police came a-knocking, he was tight-lipped. He also kept the ceremony of becoming, quote-unquote, man, uh, made man. Um, this one, he would have been fine getting rid of. However, Genovese, his, his bud would persuade him to keep the title in the ceremony stating that the youngins needed a ritual. It would promote obedience within the families, give the youngins something to look forward to. So he's like, all right, we'll keep it. Give the mafia youngins their Christmas. Uh-huh. He also kept the five family split in New York. So how Moranzano split it, he kept it. Now, when Luciano took control, he also took his most trusted Italian associates and gave them high-level positions in the Luciano crime family. I did include a diagram of like the positions. So you have his underboss, Vito Genovese, his consigliere or an advisor, Frank Costello. Uh, a, he has multiple caporegimes. I don't know if I said that right. I'm sorry, guys. But that is Joe Adonis, Michael Trigger, Mike Coppola, Anthony Strollo, William Moretti, and Anthony Carfano. So, you know, it goes him, Luciano, the underboss, Frank Costello, and then the rest of the ones that I named are all on the same level. So you might be asking about his non-Italian friends that he's made along the way. They officially could not hold, hold a title or a position in the Italian mafia family. But they were still highly trusted and would play a role for Lucky Luciano. His top advisor, Mayor Lansky. Trusted associate, Benjamin Bugsy Siegel. Like, these are people he trusts, you know? They're just not Italian, so in the Italian mafia, they can't hold a position. Mayor Lansky, like, he really, every time I look at him, I think of Andy Griffith. I don't know what that says about me, but, like, you put him in a sheriff's suit, and that is Andy Griffith. Uh, pretty close. I think it's the, I don't know what that is, like the... The double smile lines, maybe, and the haircut. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But there's a lot going on, right? Um, now, he's taken over all these operations. Some of these illegal things he and his family are controlling in New York include illegal gambling, extortion, extortion bookmaking, lo loan sharking, drug trafficking, prostitution networks, and more. Okay, so we're still uh, we're we're still checking all the all the crime boxes. Yeah, no big okay. deal. Now, not only did he have control of much of the illegal activities, he had also become very influential in labor union activities as well. So he had gained control of Manhattan Waterfront or the Longshore the Longshoremen's Union, uh, garbage hauling unions, construction unions, garment district businesses, and trucking. Like he's. He's got a lot of freaking control. He's busy. Yeah. 
Now, some of the changes he would make to the mafia structure that Maranzano had established. First thing, he would not take the title Capo di Tutti Capi. He he basically oh. was that, but he didn't take the title. Okay. He essentially believed that the title and position would create trouble between the families. And he also was like, it's going to make me a target, just like it had for Maranzano. So instead, he's like, well, I need to make him t- take control, and we need a governing body. So this governing body, known as the commission, would be started. He was able to maintain control quietly. It allowed for him to forge unofficial alliances with other bosses. And he would sit on this commission as the chairman of the board. Officially, he would call a meeting in Chicago in late 1931, and this included a lot of various bosses. Here, he would propose the idea of the commission, which would serve as the governing body for organized crime, and it would be accepted. Oh. And that's where I'm going to end it for today. You're just going to end it with his his pitch? Uh-huh. His business pitch? Uh-huh. Okay. So, we'll talk more next week about it. I am loving this story. Okay. Well, then I'm ready for your story. Okay. So... I, okay, so I've got a little bit of Bible study here, and I'm not religious, so bear with me. But this one was fun, okay? We are going to talk about a demon. Ooh, is yeah. Lucifer? No, his name is Beelzebub. Which is basically Lucifer. I'm glad you said that. We'll touch on that. So, okay, so the name Beelzebub, and some people argue Beelzebub himself. He comes from a pagan god that was worshipped in the Philistine city of Ekron called Baalzebub. And scholars believe that one of the ways ancient prophets determined the will of the gods was to watch the ways flies would swarm. So they like, you know, if they see flies swarming around, I don't know, poop. What do flies swarm around? Everything. Everything. Yeah, everything all the time flies. They would basically watch them. And they think that Baalzebub was a god who would communicate the future to people of that time with how the flies flew. Okay. I had to say that slowly because flies flew is kind of a tongue twister. And since Baalzebub controlled flies, he also controlled disease. So he would have flies, like, hang out on corpses or poop. You know, fly do, flies doing fly stuff. But it, mainly... It, that's how they ended up doing fly things, gotcha. Yeah. And not they like, would fly around doing fly stuff. Not like fly things, like fly things, you know? Yeah. Yeah, fly fly things. Yeah. Fly fly on the sly. And it's fine. <laughs> but, yeah, so he would have them hang out on corpses. And then... He would use these flies to spread disease, pestilence, plague to the living. At the time, after the time, excuse me, of Philistines, the name was changed to Beelzebul, meaning God of Dung. Um, to me, that's, uh, that, it feels brave, um, to name a God after doo-doo. But you know what? I, that wasn't left up to me. I'm just here reciting history. So, oh, I, I mean, maybe yeah. he liked it. Maybe he made up the name. Maybe, but I mean, if it were me, like, I don't, I don't feel like that would 
Okay, you know what? If it were me, like, no, I would probably be the goddess of doo-doo. Let's be real here. I have a bowel <laughs> I was disease. Say, so, okay. Yeah, I saw the way you were looking at me, like, okay, fine, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> the goddess of dung is speaking, hush your tongue before I send my plague flies. I would dare you to, but then you're going to do it. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so it was changed to Beelzebul god of dung and then beelzebub is the greek version of this name beelzebul so that's how we got to beelzebub he is said to appear as a giant fly um besides the fact that he's a you know a demon a doo-doo demon i would not be excited if a giant like a, a a normal size fly is already annoying enough right it's, it's in your ear like mosquitoes and flies Ooh. Can just so can you imagine the buzzing of a giant fly? I feel like you could hear feel it like bass or something. And I'm angry just thinking about it. Okay, let's let me move on. So um You know what though with a giant fly, you could see it. You're not like where did you go with like I don't think I would fly. want to. Have you ever looked at a fly's eyeballs? Do you want to see that? No, I don't, but I'm saying at least you could see its body, whereas with a, like, a normal size fly, you're like, where the hell are you? I'm going to get you. And he started saying that, I'm going to get you. I know, you sent me the Snapchat. Get you. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, it still just sounds horrible. Uh, but that's not all. He has other ways of showing himself. He can be a giant fly, a monstrous being of great height sitting on a giant throne or this is my personal favorite a being with a swollen face and chest huge nostrils horns bat wings duck feet a lion's tail and the whole thing is covered in thick black hair why does this feel more like a cryptid doesn't it like, I just, I guess I'm, I don't know. I, I just, like, if you had to pick three ways to appear, how did we land on the last one? How did you go to giant fly, like, a, a big, tall man sitting on a giant throne? That just feels regal and intimidating. And then you've got a swollen, swollen face. Swollen chest. Yeah, big nostrils, horns, bat Duck feet? You really chose duck feet? You got a lion's tail and duck feet. Why duck feet? Why not bear feet? You know what? The duck feet is to terrify people like me who don't like flying critters. Uh, well, he already has the fly. Well, I'm okay with a fly. A giant fly? Well, no, but he's in this form, he's not a giant fly. Yeah, he's worse. He's everything else that we don't want. I'm just telling you that in this form, he's got to find a piece of something that's going to terrify everyone. Lion's tail? He's like, people are terrified of lions. I guess so. The bat wings, the horns. And just I do got to say, like, if we're, if we're talking about, like, a demon, like, this, I mean, feels pretty demon-y. Yeah, it does. <laughs> like, if I saw this in a mirror in the middle of the night, I'm out. I'm leaving. Might not come back. Like, can you can you sell my house with everything inside of it? 
and just pay me extra. You'll stay if there's a clown face, but not this. This is where I draw the line. Okay, just going to make sure. Yeah, there's only one doo-doo queen in this house, okay? <laughs> it's you. And it's me. So, wait, so yeah. is the doo-doo king of that house? No. Oh. It's just me. I'm the doo-doo queen and king. There. Oh, okay, so there's only one doo-doo monarch? Yes, that's oh. me. This is a doo-doo oligarchy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so Beelzebub, he was adopted by Abrahamic religions as a major demon. In Christianity, Beelzebub is sometimes used as another name for Satan. But some people say he is completely different. They are two completely different entities. I don't care if they're different. They're besties. Well, we'll get into that, too. I don't care what they say. They're probably besties. <laughs> Um, so he is the prince of devils, and he's also been called in the Bible the prince of false gods. He is hell's second in command and second most powerful under only Satan. In demonology, he's one of the seven deadly demons or the seven princes of hell. So in the seven deadly sins, if you had to guess, what would you think Beelzebub represented? Gosh, you're going to make me recall all the seven deadly sins. On, I mean, not me... all of them, just his. Well, I can't think of all of them. There's what? Uh, lust, envy, pride, gluttony, wrath. Greed, fornication. Fornication. Oh, lust. Oh, you said lust. I'm missing one. Damn, I was doing good, too. Oh, what am I missing? No, hold on. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth? Sloth, that's the one I missed. That would definitely be me. Wrath, uh, envy, pride. I feel like... I feel like he should be wrath, but he's probably not. You're uh, on the right track. I definitely don't feel like he's lust. I can't decide. Is I don't think he's gluttony, but he I feel like gluttony. he might. He is. I was gonna say I feel he like is. he might be gluttony. Yeah, he is gluttony, <laughs> and it's said that this he uses gluttony to tempt people to do his bidding. Okay. And some sources also listed him as over gluttony and pride. I don't know how that works. I feel like if there's seven deadly demons, he, would, he can't be both. Choice. Like, you got to make your choice. But also, he's, like, really powerful. So, I don't know. Maybe it's what form he's in. If he's in fly form, it's gluttony. If he's in the other one, it's the... It's the duck feet. Okay. Yeah. The duck <laughs> feet is pride. Got you. Yeah. So, according to the Testament of Solomon, uh, King Solomon is able to control Beelzebub with a ring given to him by the archangel Michael. And this ring, or the seal of Solomon, it gives Solomon the power to talk to animals and control the supernatural, including jinn and demons. King Solomon uses the seal of Solomon to summon Beelzebub, and he forces him to tell him the secrets of hev heaven. Whoa. Tell him the secrets of heaven. He forces Beelzebub to summon other demons that King Solomon also interrogates. And then, this is just wild to me. This is the second most powerful demon. Uh, in the meantime, while King Solomon is like, I don't know, torturing and interrogating demons. He uses this seal of Solomon to force Beelzebub to cut marble that's used to build King Solomon's temple. Like King Solomon should be the one over greed. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, it's kind of feeling that way. Or pride. 
I feel like greed. Greed. Like I because I feel like he's making other people do like his bidding. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. feel like that's prideful. I feel like that's kind of greedy of him to be like, I have this ring, I can do what I want. I see that. Okay. I guess I was thinking of it as prideful's like I don't know, it's just being bossy. Like, tell me your secrets and then bring me someone else here to talk to. And in the meantime, go cut marble, peasant. But that's what I mean. Like, he's not doing any work. He's like, peasant, go cut mar- marble for my temple, sanctuary, whatever you call it. Temple, yeah. Both? Castle? I don't know. Whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I'm not religious, apple. okay? I just read a lot about it. Um. So, Jacques... Colin de Plancy. I don't know if I said that right, but it sounded pretty good. This is me. Toot toot. That's my horn. Um, he wrote Dictionnaire Infernal, or the Infernal Dictionary. It was published in 1818, a couple years ago. And this is a demonology book that describes demons by their hierarchies. And according to this book, Beelzebub can fly. So he's known as Lord of the Flyers or Lord of the Flies. According to this book in demonology, when Satan first rebelled against God in heaven, he recruited several powerful angels to help him. And Beelzebub was one of these angels. Once he moved to hell with his new buddy Satan after God gave him the boot, he started tempting men with either pride or gluttony, again, depending on the source. He also spent his free time causing destruction through tyrants, convincing men to worship demons, leading priests to lust, creating jealousy leading to murders, and bringing war. So he's kind of like, honestly, it feels like he's touching all the seven deadly bases. He's got it He's like, I've mastered gluttony, but I Mm -hmm. uh, fiddle around in lust and everything else. Yeah. He's like, y'all, just, just sit down and watch. He actually trained the other six oh, demons. Oh, gotcha. I think gotcha. that's what happened. He's like, gluttony was my favorite. You can do lust. You can do pride. I see what yeah. happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it, but I can still do it better than you. Watch. Yeah, that sounds right. I would like to know how that training went, though. Oh, I would love to know how that training went. I could not find it. They don't have, like, a video or, like, a reality TV series on that one? Not yet, but they should. They should. Somebody get on that. Like, that could very easily be one of those adult cartoons. Like Big Mouth or... Yes, thank you. I was trying to think of an example. Yeah, like Big Mouth. It could be better. It could be... Wait! We need... That's ours. TM, 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 TM. Our idea. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Beelzebub's Buds. I like it. Yeah, this is ours. Back off! TM, TM, that's ours. Yeah. In some stories, Beelzebub leads a revolt against Satan and establish the Order of the Fly. Now, many sources state that this most likely isn't true because Beelzebub is chief lieutenant to Lucifer. He's incredibly loyal. He ain't going anywhere. He certainly ain't turning against him. But according to the Gospel of Nicodemus, which is apparently taking with a rather large grain of salt, After Jesus was crucified, Satan bragged to Beelzebub about his plan to bring Jesus to hell and take revenge on him for all the times he ruined his evil, satan-y plans. That dang Jesus and his followers. That meddling Jesus. Would have gone away with it if it weren't for... (laughs) (laughs) That meddling Jesus and his disciples. (laughs) 
exactly what it was. You know what? I will. I'll see you in hell, I guess. <laughs> Beelzebub, I'm on your side. Okay. The Satan, I'm also on your side. I'm not. I don't know how to stop. Someone tell me to stop. <laughs> Please stop. I don't want to go to hell for that purpose. Like, it's fine if I go. Like, I deserve it. But, like, you know, I don't need to go that far. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what layer this is, but I don't want to go to it. I don't want to. I don't want to be the queen of any of these circles, okay? I'm busy. I'm the queen and king of doo-doo, okay? I'm busy that day. Oh, my. They might have you in a new ring of hell down there with just doo-doo. Bryce, I'm already there every day. Every day. Oh, they're going to make it worse. Is it other people's doo-doo? Oh, yeah. Nope. Uh, count me out. Mm-mm, no. <laughs> Unless it came from me via me or children i don't want to deal with it other grown-ass strange people's doo-doo no absolutely <laughs> I hope you know not. my dad is probably gagging at the thought right now doo-doo <laughs> you know what this this half of the episode every time i say doo-doo take a shot i can't not you then <laughs> but i have to edit this that's unfair Take a shot of ginger ale. Dad, when you listen to this, I need you to take two shots. <laughs> Every time. One for each. Four. One for me, one for each baby, one for you. Oh. So every do time Amanda it. said, says doo-doo, it's our new drinking game. Do it. You won't. We have to say doo-doo first. Doo-doo. Do-do it. You won't. <laughs> Just do-do it. Okay. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah. So Satan was basically telling Beelzebub, like, hey, I got a great idea. Let's bring Jesus here and torture him. And Beelzebub, he begged Satan not to do this. He's like, this is a horrible idea. Jesus is too powerful. Come on. Like, so Beelzebub's the friend of reason. He's yes. like, hold on. Let's think this through, bud. Yeah, he's the chief lieutenant. Yeah, he's like, okay, come on. Like, like look, I know you have a vendetta, but let's think this through, okay? Let's just. Yeah. Think about who you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Think about the reality and if that will actually happen. Exactly. Um, I don't know if we're surprised, but Satan refused to listen. And he was, you know, price is right. Jesus, come on down. And Jesus did. I'm not going to do it, girl. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> oh, he did it. I did I it, did girl. It. <laughs> If you guys don't know what we're talking about, it's TikTok, okay? If, if you don't know what we're talking about, you're a boomer. You have yeah, to be. I... According <laughs> to Amanda, you were born in the 1920s, working as a police <laughs> officer in the 40s. <laughs> it's still funny. Oh, I cracked me up. I'm still on the same bullet. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. I'm having fun. This, is, this was a fun one, and it was kind of short, so I'm glad. I'm glad we're enjoying it. Uh, okay. Jesus, he came on down. And when he got there, he destroyed Satan. He freed the imprisoned souls from their chains with a single word. I don't know what that word is. Okay. But he did it. He said it. Jesus had his own plan. Jesus took the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> he was not messy. He was like, look, I know what your plan. Okay. Jesus got tipped off like Lucky Luciano. And he's like, okay, so I know what 
Satan's planning to do because, mm -hmm. I don't know, freaking lust told me or whatever. <laughs> and so he's lust. like, I'm going to strike first. Mm -hmm. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. And he did. He got down there. He was like, no. And Jesus ended up giving Beelzebub dominion over hell as thanks for his help in moving Adam and the other saints in prison from hell back to heaven. And even though Satan was against it, obviously, they, they basically traded. Like, here's some souls for the keys to hell. No takesies, backsies. Beelzebub's in charge. And Satan's pissed. Satan was, yeah. Satan was, he was, he wasn't happy about it. It wasn't in his 10-year plan. Now, Johann Ware, he was a doctor and an occultist in the Netherlands in 1545. He published a book on his research of hell and the hierarchy of it. And I just want to know, I tried to research, I tried to research this demon and i had trouble How, where do you research hell in the bible in the 1500s oh i guess it is the bible i didn't read that um but he talked about in hell there are princes there's high dignitaries ambassadors ministers officers of the state and all of these people slash demons question mark are apparently listed by name as clearly as any early census. Which again, where, sir? What what do you have access to? You maybe don't want to know. I just want to know where Johan got Hill's census history. <laughs> you probably don't want to know. <laughs> Most importantly, I mean, to us in this moment, at least, Johan told stories of Beelzebub leading a revolt, a revolt against a the revolt? devil. A revolt? A revolt? Where am I? <laughs> what is happening? Not, not uh, in this dimension, apparently. No, I'm in hell with the doo-doo. <laughs> That's what you're stuck on. Hey, Dad, four shots. <laughs> yeah, four. Most importantly, Johan told stories of Beelzebub leading a revolt against the devil. He says Satan is no longer ruler of Hades. Beelzebub is the true leader. And this kind of gives credit to that gospel of Nicodemus when Jesus came down and was like, screw you, Satan. I'm taking them back home. Beelzebub, you're in charge. Beelzebub's like, look, I didn't want any of this. Yeah. I told him this was a bad idea. I didn't want this, but I'll take it because you're too powerful. Can you go now, please? If, you're, if you feel like it. Beelzebub knows, he knows how to pick his battles. Ware's book goes into... So much more detail than just this little bit that I've mentioned right here. His book is Witches, Devils, and Doctors in the Renaissance. If you want to read it, you can buy it on Amazon for anywhere between $244 to $1,432.31. That is a tad bit out of my price range. I thought you were Lucky Luciano Rich. No, I'm not <laughs> making $70 million a year. If I was, I would, this book would already be on my kindle i don't even think it'd be on your i think it'd be on your fancy bookshelf oh it would yeah yeah it would in medieval times witches were said to worship beelzebub he was believed to be a very powerful demon he ruled over witches rituals and gatherings witches would deny christ and chant 
Beelzebub goiti, Beelzebub beti, which means Beelzebub above, Beelzebub below. That's creepy. They were, oh, that's creepy? Um, I don't want him above and below me all at once. That's not, not ideal. They were also said to gather around an altar in a semicircle, lay flat on the ground, take a foul medicine that would make them sweat and paralyze them. And then, as they were unable to move, um, Beelzebub would have his way with them. That lust doctor comes in. This was the beginning of a frenzied orgy. You did say he was one up on the lust demon. Yeah, I I guess. um, Yeah. Uh, when summoning Beelzebub, sorcerers were opening themselves up to death due to strangulation, seizure, cerebral hemorrhage, or stroke. And once summoned, he was difficult to banish. He was typically summoned by those who wished to control others rather than persuade them. And then um, I did find specifically how to summon him. And I did not include that, but I did read a whole lot about it. We're so, not summoning him. No. Okay, I lied. I did include that, and then I took it away. Um, so because if you want to, you summon, guys are going to do it. Is why she took yes. it away. This is not a game. If we tell you, you guys are going to be like, "Well, it was Hell on Hills podcast that told us," and then I'm going to get bitched at by my dad, and that's a whole different hell of its own. Okay. I do not want to be held legally responsible for. You summoning Beelzebub into your home and or life. Uh, so, yeah, that's on you. You do I, research. It was very good. Like, it was, they know their stuff. Okay. But, I'm yeah. I'm also already going to get bitched at because we're talking about a demon. I'm not making him listen. Do you think he's not going to listen and not bitch at me? Do you know what his favorite pastime is? Listening to us. I know and it's then, bitching at you. Uh, we forgot. Uh, no, it's uh, complaining. It's whining to me. Oh, oh, okay. Whining to you. Oh, God. I bet that. I bet that's just pleasant. Yeah. And he doesn't listen because he's got old man ears. So those get turned off. He sounds like a delight. <laughs> In case you guys are wondering, we're still talking about my dad. Uh, yes. So. Like I said, I took that part out. So this, um, that's the end. That is, that is Beelzebub. Lord of Dung. Look, you and your doo-doo problems just had to bring in more doo-doo. Yeah, I mean, shots. he called to me. He did something. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but he did something. And the two pictures that I included are from... Uh, the Infernal Dictionary. Okay, well, I don't like it, but also I kind of like it. But also, I'm not gonna... I'm not stupid enough to be like, I'm rooting for you, Beelzebub, and Satan over Jesus. Like, I'm not stupid, okay? Yeah, like, that's... It makes me wonder, um, is Lucifer the god of pride? He's gotta be, right? I don't know. We'd have to look it up. Sounds like we could do a seven, seven... Uh, episode miniseries on these ones. Honestly, I thought about it. Like, well, we very yours. well could. All yours. Okay. 
Well, not a seven episode. Now it's a six. Well, seven, including this episode. Oh, okay. Plus, you might be able to include, like, Satan himself. Make it kind of eight. But anyway, the point is, is there's plenty of opportunities here. We'll, we'll so. shop it. Yeah, well, that was fun. I thought so. It was, um, it was enlightening in all the worst ways. Oh, for sure. It was the opposite. What's the opposite of enlightening? It was darkening. It was. That's ugh. not right. Well, That's I mean. Light. I don't know. Google it. Hey, Siri. What's the opposite of enlightening? Dulif- Dultify? D- pardon me? <laughs> I don't know what Siri told me. You act like I understand what's happening with iPhone. Stultify. Ignorance. Okay, sure. Or benightedness. Ooh, that's a $5 word. Well, you know what? Siri didn't give me anything. Okay. It's okay. I did. Amanda gave you something. Amanda's better than Siri anyways. I am what I am. And I am doo-doo queen. (laughs) Doo-doo. Yeah, that's eight more shots. Yeah. My my dad's following at this point. He's done. He's stopped listening. (laughs) I have achieved what I needed to do. (laughs) I've achieved greatness. That's because he's too tipsy. He's (laughs) a lot of shots that he just had to do. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you all for listening to Helen Hills Podcast. To see pictures from this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Helen Hills Podcast, X Helen Hills Pod, or Facebook by searching Helen Hills Podcast. You can find us on Linktree by typing in Helen Hills Podcast. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further so we can create more content for you, you can donate through Patreon, where we're working to release specials for our patrons. If you have your own true crime or paranormal story suggestions or just words of encouragement, please email us at hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to tell your friends to listen with you as well. Bye! Bye!